2: The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple.
3: Catch and Shoot podcast back this week. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stanko out in San Francisco. What's up, pal? How are we doing? How are Good. we doing? Good. Um, I want to start. We're gonna get to Steve Smith. Not the NBA Steve Smith, but future Hall of Fame coach Steve Smith, who's been in a Hall of Fame nominee multiple times. He's the legendary head coach at Oak Hill going into his what I do believe is his 35th year. High school numbers are kind of all over the place. So we'll confirm yeah. all of this. With Steve on the podcast, he's it's over a thousand wins, I believe it's nine national championships, and he's had pros out to the Wazoo, Stackhouse, Mello, Rondo, Rod Strickland, KD, others. So we're gonna have him on a moment. And we're gonna also gonna talk, do a little high school basketball talk, and how far you go back with high school hoops and today's stars. But one thing, and, and we always start with something that sometimes it's basketball related, sometimes it's not. So. The Andrew Luck news broke over the weekend. Yes. And Doug Gottlieb, college basketball analyst, Fox Sports radio host, just got skewered on Twitter. Okay. About yep. saying that rehab being too hard or coming back from injury being too hard is the most millennial thing ever. Okay. Now, do I agree with his assessment? No, no. But here's where I'm going to give Doug credit. Doug did something that most analysts, most radio hosts wouldn't do. And that's say something on Twitter that they would also say on the radio. So many, and I think we may have even talked about this before. So many say, yeah, you know, I'd say that on the radio. And and I've been on radio with them on NBA radio. I'd say that on the radio, but I I wouldn't put it out on Twitter. Doug put it out on Twitter and he, and he put it out on radio. So I do, so I give him credit for it.
2: What's, what's fascinating about what you bring up is this idea. And, and I think it's for the, the, I guess when you think about it, it, makes sense. But the reason people will do that all the time is because um, they're so afraid of what that immediate feedback will be on, on Twitter. Whereas you're on radio, you're not necessarily getting, um, that immediate feedback, right? I mean, you, you're gonna hey, we're getting callers, but that doesn't really impact you. Whereas, right. whereas if you put it out on, on Twitter, like Doug was he, and, and we both know Doug, you know, full disclosure, mm-hmm. but but Doug was hearing from everyone. I mean, everyone was weighing in. Celebrities, athletes, not just in the and NFL. Tory, Tory,
3: Tory Smith crushed him.
2: Tory Smith crushed him. And we'll, and we'll, listen, in terms card of the, Dane,
3: the Troy Aikman one, yeah
2: yeah and and in terms of the take, like I could not be more opposed, not just with this, but with everything that well I don't want to say everything, but but a lot of what Doug has to say, certainly in regards to you know uh, pay for play for college athletes or the Olympic model for amateurism for college athletes, uh, all these things that I, I believe some progressive viewpoints I'm, i don't I differ with Doug on, but Doug is the guy that will tell you exactly how he feels for better or worse and takes and takes a beating for it but he's also a lot of times people think that the views are inauthentic i don't think with doug they are and and i think that's the driving point of your of your premise and i think yeah right and i I think
3: you you can tell that when somebody puts it out on twitter and says it on the radio and and if you can hear i don't know i'm in my apartment recording and they were supposed to be finished with what's going on upstairs. And, it, and I think they're still sanding these floors. I, I can't, can't hear, hear the then.
2: sanding. I can't hear the sanding. So well, if well, someone, if, anything, someone right? if
3: someone, it does, it does. And if someone falls through the ceiling,
2: well, that uh, I probably would hear that you would, that you would hear. And <laughs> yeah. it would make for a good off <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. of the rails. Yeah. Uh, but right. through the, right. through the ceiling, I, one, one thing about Doug that, cause I get asked a lot about it. I, for a previous podcast I had done a couple of years ago, Doug and I recorded for like two hours I mean and and he is a nice guy I think he's somewhat misunderstood but he does tell like it is and people have asked me many times about different people that I've interacted with in the business and obviously same for you and the story I always tell about Doug that that sort of exemplifies who he is we were one day playing in a a pickup game at uh, ESPN so we're so there there's the, there was an indoor court that they'd put in, and we hadn't even started really yet. Guys were sort of shooting around. I was lacing up my sneakers, and I was talking to someone, and the night before, Duke had just played Ohio State, and I think, if I recall correctly, and I, I may be misremembering it, the game itself, but I'm pretty sure like Ohio State like wiped the floor with with Duke, like just crushed them. So... So this guy next to me is, is talking to me and Doug was sort of off to the side. He wasn't really part of what we were doing, but the guy next to me is like, Hey, what'd you think of that game last night? I'm like, wow, that was, that was crazy, which was sort of just instinctual. I just brought it up like, ah, that was, that was wild. That was crazy. Mm -hmm. And Doug just immediately comes over. What was so crazy about it? Uh, duke's yeah duke's overrated ohio state the way they've been moving the ball the way they play defense there there's nothing that was crazy about that there's, game that there's was... no
3: there's no casual conversation <laughs>
2: like that, and i thought this is this is it yeah like here i am a throwaway line to somebody as we're lacing the sneakers yeah. i wasn't even paying attention really to what the guy was saying it was just sort of making conversations casual as you say and yes that does not exist in doug's world he is going to tell you like it is regardless of what you think, or if your feelings are going to be hurt or whether it's right or wrong. And I think part of me respects that part. And then there's another side, which is like, Doug, there's a way to brace that kind of thing. You know, you you could ease into things at times.
3: No, no, there's no easing in. There's no casual conversation. There are no throwaway lines with Doug. And, and look, I mean, he got, he got crushed on Twitter and, and it happens, but I am. And we were texting about this too. I'm, I'm pulling back from Twitter about getting involved in any sort of like the daily conversations that I think are nonsense. And so many of them are nonsense as if, so it's like if I overheard something in a bar that was, that was nonsense, like some nonsense sports take, I wouldn't walk over there and say, well, come on guys. Like, here's why this is not like, I wouldn't, (laughs) I would I'd want to remove myself. I want to, I would want to be as far away from those people as possible. So why would I involve myself on Twitter? Why would I waste my time doing it over on, on the computer when I wouldn't do it in person? That it's
2: funny because a, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, T.J. Adeshola who who heads up sports partnerships for uh, for Twitter, and he refers to Twitter as a virtual sports bar. So it's funny then that you use that analogy, and it's so true. Like if my friends say something ridiculous, like I, I may need to to you know check them a little bit. Uh, and even then i 've started to hold back because really why what what am i i'm not changing people 's opinions i 'm not i'm not i'm not going to get them hey that 's not true go back and and watch the ninety three finals you know that that 's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen so you know they're they 're not going to be changed uh you can 't change their opinion with stats or or facts or or watching videos so I think a lot of times, yeah, I, I need to stay out of it, and, I, and I've really tried to uh, make an effort to do that as well because you're right. When it's people that I don't even know and they make a comment or even people I don't know well, what what's the benefit really?
3: Yeah, there's no benefit. I, I uh, you, you said I got two more things. You said that about 93 finals, the <laughs> 97 finals. So I was going through – I was looking for some old Jordan interview clips for a project that I'm doing, and – so, you know, Ahmad Rashad's his guy, and yes. you know, that's why I, I was always told that no one ever turned down an interview with Ahmad because then Ahmad would tell Jordan, and nobody wanted to be iced out by Jordan. <laughs> so everybody, <laughs> everybody always did an interview with, with Ahmad. That's great. Um, side note, I watched a 1999 interview sit down on NBC with Peter Vesey and, and Penny Hardaway this week that I tweeted out, at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V, if you want to check it out. And it was four and a half minutes and Bessie and Penny had an honest conversation for those four and a half minutes. And there was so much cover. There are so many nuggets in that one interview that was terrific. And, and I asked Peter, like, how did they come together? He said, uh, I asked and it happened. And I said, were you too close beforehand? And he says, respectful, not boys. Hmm. You know, in these days it's like, Oh, that's oh. his guy. That's his boy. That's his boy. That's his boy. But anyway, the media gets crushed, and oftentimes rightfully so, for non-questions. But this is what, what, what proves the point is that this has been going on forever. Ahmad, after, I forget what game it was, at, uh, of the finals, asked Jordan four questions post-game. The first three were non-questions. It was just like <laughs> Ahmad, Ahmad making a statement and then Jordan talking. Ahmad Rashad, everybody's favorite, Ahmad asking non-questions.
2: Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Right, one I, more thing. I, wait, one before more. you get okay. to your one more thing, I just have to yeah. ask you. During that that Vesey Penny uh interview, did did uh did Penny say that they were one of the top duos of all time, him and Shaq no, no. the top five <laughs> duos? <laughs> that's,
3: funny. That that's funny. No. Um that's funny. Uh but then I also watched the famous Carl Malone interview with uh with Vesey after they lost the I think I, I guess it maybe it was when they lost the ninety eight finals. And uh and and it was basically Bessie trying to get it punched by Carl Malone because he kept saying, so you didn't play up to your expectations or like, obviously this didn't go the way you wanted to go. And, and, and Carl Malone saying, well, the hell with you and the hell with everybody. And I played hard. (laughs) uh, I I love that stuff. So so the other thing, the other thing was uh, we're recording this on Monday morning and I, uh, and so I get the athletic emails, and notification not on my phone but uh like the weekly emails or and i I saw i saw richard deitch's twitter feed and it was and like the headline was why gus johnson should be back calling nba games and i'm like wait what the (laughs) wait a (laughs) second i'm trying to call nba games and i'm working (laughs) my tail off to do this and and now we've got It was a four thousand word Q and A with Gus Johnson, and three of the early questions were about Richard, like making a plea to the Nets. As much as he loves their broadcast team, that that would be such a great fit for five or ten games. Come on, man! Like he doesn't, Gus doesn't need the NBA games, and the NBA games don't need Gus.
2: Gus's inventory is already
3: pretty uh, substantial. how, how 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 much harder did he want to make this? Yeah, exactly. Plus, Iron Eagle. Well, yeah, Ian Eagle. We yeah, Eagle, the guest on this week's follow-up podcast. The follow-up. That's my other podcast. It's 20 minutes with Ian Eagle, and he was terrific. Download, subscribe, rate, review, all of it. Yes. Check yeah. out the follow-up. Uh, all right, so before we get to some high school stories and also Steve Smith, make sure – You check out the rest of all the podcasts on the Pure Hoops Media Network, the Mike Wise Show, Bucket Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt, and the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman, NBA champion BJ Armstrong. So again, before we get to Steve Smith, let's lay out the spread. Time to hit the spread. So since we have Oak Hill's famed coach Steve Smith on, you go way back with, Scouting high school basketball players. So again, I want you to give the you know forty-five second story of how that started, Adam, and then get into a one of those memorable high school stories. Yeah.
2: So uh, I I as I've mentioned on the podcast multiple times, I used to work for a high school sports show and you know, this is uh early two thousands and we'd go all over the you know, all over the country basically getting video of kids from you know different cities and and really we were collecting all this crazy video of guys and it wasn't just basketball it was it was football and and other sports as well um but really guys in high school that you know were were making a name for themselves on the national scene but people hadn't really seen video of because we hadn't hit the social media age yet i mean there was some of it but really not to the extent that that we were sort of pulling off and when that show ended Uh, I was trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And I realized that there was a need for video uh, for NBA and college teams, especially for the NBA guys, because this was when there was this prep to pros craze that was taking place. And so NBA teams wanted video. So we'd go shoot basketball tournaments. And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, these schools and these NBA teams, I'd be contacting them or they'd contact me and they'd want video of guys. And I've said before how the Spurs were at the forefront of that, like, Oh, Gabe Pruitt is thinking about putting his name out a kid from Westchester, uh, California. Like he, he, he's thinking about putting his name in the draft, you know, you guys have video of him and we would. And so, yeah, so we shot a lot of tournaments and a lot of really great players during the early two thousands when this was huge. And we, We'd hear from a lot of coaches and things. And I was basically, as a freelance job, just shooting this video and we were selling it to him. And so, uh, you know, Dwight Howard's in the news this week. Mm-hmm. And one of the tournaments that I was at was a tournament called Slam Dunk to the Beach in Lewis, Delaware. It was this smaller high school gym and they just had, Tons and tons of games. Uh, it was like a Christmas time tournament. It was during the winter time, and it it was freezing cold at the beach in in Delaware. It was slammed onto the beach, but it wasn't you know what you think of as a as a vacation area. And so, all these top high school teams in the country would come and play. I saw so many great players there, and we were there you know shooting video of you know game after game after game. It was just nonstop in one gym, and they just played you know eight in the morning till midnight basically, and uh and one of the team uh well, this guy had come over to me at that time these two guys came over to me and they they started talking to me and looking at me and they're like i think he's our guy and and um one this dude's a big dude like um and and they, both the guys were pretty big and they're like i think he's our guy this is our guy <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about and they're like we think we have a proposition for you we're going to come by tomorrow if you're still around I, they said we're going to talk it over i said okay so Next day I'm there shooting again. Well, my guy was shooting and I was, I was selling the stuff. They come up to me and I'm talking to them about the games again and players. And they're like, here's the deal goes. I'm Roosevelt Barnes who used to play for the Detroit lions, but uh, he was now an NFL agent and he represented a bunch of guys that were big time players. So ray lewis um deon sanders like a lot of people refer to him as like the god squad all the guys that were heavily into you know the, this religious sect like like he he was representing these guys and so it was a really Dan's, nice guy and danny chase danny chase sorry, um just the only Jewish guy <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go uh no this this well that was the thing it was all football players yeah. at the time that he was representing and so basically what his proposition to me was that they were trying to get Dwight Howard because Dwight Howard was um, a senior and was going to be the presumptive number one or number two pick in the NBA draft. This, you know, Him and Emeka Okafor were going to battle for it. And they realized that he was a high school player. He was a high school sensation. And if they were able to get Dwight Howard, then all of a sudden um, that, that would put them on the map as a basketball agency. So they were transitioning. They already had all these huge clients. So they had this whole plan of attack for how they were going to get Dwight Howard, but they hadn't really talked to him yet. And so what they asked me to do was that they were going to make a pit, they were going to have a huge pitch meeting for Dwight Howard to sell them as, as their agent. And so they asked me and, and my camera guy if we would go around the country and shoot video of Dwight Howard playing in games so that they could put together this demo tape to show at the pitch meeting. So- okay. We, we did it. And so we, he was playing for Southwest uh, Atlanta Christian at the time. Javaris Crittenden was his uh, point guard. Um, And we went down, we saw, which was crazy in itself. We saw games down in Atlanta in their gym. And then they played at Georgia Tech um, against Randolph Morris, who ended up going to Kentucky, if you remember Mm -hmm. Randolph Morris. Um, So, Dwight Howard was such. Uh, to explain how good people he he was too. He would bring the ball up for that team. He'd get rebounds, bring the ball up. Had this ability as a as a point guard. I mean, his skill set was really good. I know people knock him for not having much of a post game, but in terms of his pure athletic ability and some of his just basketball skill, his ability to handle it and pass it was so impressive. And watch this guy, and he's always smiling and everything. And you could just tell he had star written all over him, this young kid, and and played hard and was in insane shape. And so anyhow, we go and and shoot stuff in Atlanta, and then my camera guy went and shot him playing in California. And we put together uh, all this video so they could use it in their pitch meeting, which in their pitch meeting they also had – they had hired a rapper to write a rap song about Dwight Howard this incredible <laughs> incredible thing that you I got a chance to see behind the scenes of like what goes through with an with an agent all the stops that they'll pull out and again this is early 2000s we're talking like 2003 that all the stops that they would go through in order to get this guy but they knew how valuable he was to them and again they didn't want to necessarily be the ones to you know talking to him but they made sure that Dwight saw them at the games that they were at. It was Roosevelt and, and his partner at the time. So anyhow, they go through this whole process. They pay us to do the video and all this stuff. A few weeks pass. They're supposed to have the meeting. I reach out to them and say, hey, how did the meeting go? And they say, "Uh, sort of fell through. I go, what do you mean? Oh. They go, we never got a chance to have the meeting. Like, what do you mean you never got a chance to have the meeting? You go, well, it turns out that Dwight's uncle was the prosecuting district attorney in the Ray Lewis murder oh, case. <laughs> so by dumb
1: luck, oh, like, no. there
2: was no chance that we could end up signing this kid. So we ended up not being able to have this meeting.
1: Oh, it was no. In,
2: Incredible. So the reason that Dwight Howard was not represented by this agency, which could have made a major stamp on what was going on in, in NBA uh, agent oh, circles, no. was just because Dwight's uncle was, was uh, part of the DA's office that, that was trying to prosecute uh, Ray Lewis for oh, his murder no. in, in Atlanta. Yeah, because that took alleged, place in Atlanta. Alleged, in alleged. alleged, alleged uh, it, it, the the <laughs> incident. No, no, no. What I was going to say was the incident took place there. Ray Lewis's involvement was, was alleged. That's, that's what I was getting to.
3: That is something. There you go. That's something. And he was, I mean, Dwight, Dwight is still a monster. And someone actually put out on Twitter, it was pretty funny, like a string of like the past four years of reports around this time. uh, from the past four years that Dwight's lost 20, 25 pounds. (laughs) And and it's the same headline from the past, like four or five years. (laughs) uh but i mean but dwight is you know a three-time defensive player of the year i mean there's there's always the is dwight howard a hall of famer like absolutely he's a hall of famer i mean dwight's three-time defensive player of the year is an all-time eight-time all nba guy um yeah, he's a lock he's all-star uh all-star eight times oh yeah of course he's a lock his first game back in atlanta i'm looking at his game log was his 11th game that season his rookie year and he went for 24 and 9 on 8 of 11 from the floor. He actually went 8 of 12 from the line. And he was a plus 12 in an 18-point win. And he played 41 minutes. His first, and his first time back in Atlanta. His, his, his debut was against Milwaukee. And, you know, he's, what, 19 years old. Played 38 minutes, 6 of 11, 12 points, 10 boards, 4 blocks, 3 steals. <laughs> he was a monster. He was a monster. Still, still, nothing like Shaq's numbers when when Shaq oh. started. But I when you look through his game log from his rookie year at night as a teenager, I'm seeing back to back 2016, 2015, 11 and 11 games. There's a 17 and 20 game. There's a 29 and 12 game. He's a 14 and 15 and seven block game. Boy, but he but he never developed anything else, and that was always the problem. I mean, yeah, he. It, he he was really good at what he did, and then he just never evolved.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the big one that you mentioned is teenager. And and if you listen to our last podcast with Bo Outlaw, he said that you know he almost wishes he could do more. It was it was really interesting to hear him talk about the early years of Dwight. I mean, a twelve and ten guy is playing, starting eighty two games as a nineteen year old. And mm-hmm. and Bo Outlaw said he just wishes he could have gotten to him and and sort of changed the trajectory of of Dwight's career, but at the end of the day, I
3: suggest people going back and listening to that Yeah, because he did say we all tried. He just had too many other people in his ear. So when he, when he wasn't in their locker room, he said, we, we had nothing. We, we couldn't get through to him once he left the locker room.
2: Yeah. And it's wild to think what this guy could have done, considering he's a hall of famer in spite of that.
3: Yeah. And also it's, you know, he came into the league as as you said, you know, as, as that agency was recruiting him, uh, he came in as the devout Christian, uh, no sex before marriage, um, you know, like like a like a like a choir boy, basically, right? That was that was his image. Yes, coming coming in, and then it was a Mecca Okafor at the top, who was, who, you know, as uh, as a scholar athlete at UConn, and uh, so it was almost like can't miss in terms of off the court stuff with either yes. one of those guys, and then. Dwight had a whole bunch of kids with a whole bunch of women pretty quickly. Yeah, there was some um, hypocrisy and kind of, there, that, and the whole thing. yeah, and that kind of went by the wayside. All right, so with all that said, get to the Hall of Fame nominee, the legendary head coach at Oak Hill, Steve Smith. Joined now by the Hall of Fame nominee, he's Steve Smith, going into his thirty-fifth year. Correct, thirty-fifth 35th year. Thirty-fifth 35th year. Thirty-fifth 35th years, the head coach at famed Oak Hill Academy in mouth of Wilson, Virginia, nine-time national champion. His career record, 1,151 and 77. 35 NBA players have come out of Oak Hill under Steve Smith, 33 McDonald's All-Americans. And coach, Adam and I were just talking about
0: Dwight Howard being back in the league. Did you try to recruit Dwight? Well, we had Josh Smith, who was on the same AAU team, the Atlanta Celtics. Uh, They had a Unbelievable AAU team that year. They also had uh, – I can try to remember the big kid that went to Kentucky. They had they had three big-timers on that team. Randolph and, Morris. Yeah, Randolph Morris. And uh, I wouldn't say I recruited him, but his name probably came up. And uh, Buddy didn't matriculate this way. He stayed in Atlanta. And uh, I think he went to a private Christian school there. And But Josh Smith came that, that year. They were all in the same class.
3: Who who's the last kid that you actually really had to recruit?
0: Uh, honestly, I mean, I can't think of a guy that like I just we don't do what some of these schools do where they just follow them around and they, they look like I go to these AU events to see my players that I know are coming, and I watch these other guys and I'm like they're just sitting in on the end zone, they got the shirts on like the college coaches, and I'm like this is crazy. If I had to do that, I'd quit. <laughs> But luckily <laughs> we have a we have a tradition, and uh for a long time a long standing one that I don't have to do that but now, you know, I do obviously have to follow up on kids when they contact us because I didn't have to twenty years ago they were either going to stay home or come here now they're getting bombarded by all these other schools and uh and some of them aren't schools, but some are schools, and so you have to do a little bit of obviously work to get kids now, but uh they move so much it's it's uh, amazing you look at the top 100 list of whatever class it doesn't matter if it's 2022 2021 whatever class it's odd when you see a kid in the same school for 4 years they're all moving around and uh some move three and four times and um, I've been lucky enough when they come here they usually stay here and they don't do that but uh, it's really changed a lot you know in the last especially the last 5 to 10 years
2: so that's that's the current landscape, Coach. Let's let's take it back to when you were first starting yeah. out at Oak Hill. I mean, August of of '83. You're a bank cashier, and you yeah. and you interview for a job as biology teacher and assistant coach at at Oak Hill. How would you explain what what Oak Hill was like at the time and what you thought you were walking into?
0: Yeah, I got a call from uh, Larry Davis. Um, you may know Larry. You may not. I'm Larry Coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, here for two years then he was at Delaware and he was at Furman he was head coach at Furman he was assistant at Minnesota when he went to the final four he was at Wake uh, he was at Cincinnati with Mick for years so he was the coach and he and I went to college together so he called and said hey we got nobody. I need an assistant blah 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 so and I just got called in like a Monday morning I just won a golf tournament on behalf of the bank and I just got called in for a raise, and I knew I got a raise because I won the golf tournament. It had nothing to do with my performance. <laughs> well, I played with the two vice presidents in the bank. We won the tournament, and I was the low guy. and They were like, yo, we got to move this guy up. So, <laughs> I, so when Larry calls me, I'm like, look, I don't know. I just got a raise. I got a new job. I'm moving in the loan department. I'm moving upstairs. You know, I'm getting out of this vault and all this. And But I, but I always wanted to coach. And uh, so I said, I'll tell you what, I'll come down and look. So I jump in the car. I drive six hours the wrong way, but I get here. And uh I interviewed the first day of school. So they're desperate, they need somebody. And um uh, my wife had a baby the day before. My son was born. So I could I said, Look, I can't come right now, but I said I need to go home and talk to my wife, family, whatever. When I pulled on campus, I'd never been here obviously. It's it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains, um and it's very isolated but you know, and I didn't get a chance to look around at the area. It's uh it's a great place to live, it's beautiful um i got a log cabin now sits on a ridge and i guess i've got a view of you can't believe the mountain view out my front door but i didn't see all that when i came down here all i saw was this little school tucked in these trees and on highway 58 in the middle appalachia and i was like i don't know about this my wife she didn't get to come with me obviously she had the baby so uh long story short i go home i talk to her i keep calling we keep negotiating and you know i'm the way they did it here back then there was not a pay scale you negotiate with the president what you needed so and i'd heard that and he was a basketball guy so i i tried to up the ante and uh as much as you could in 1983 anyway you got to where i said okay i can do this so i ended up coming and, and i was assistant for two years and uh i mean we had a gym with a tile floor we probably had three division one players that year the first couple years um that was in 83 that the president was robert eiser he started this program in they had basketball but started the program on a national stage like in the late 70s early 80s just before i came and um you know he would take anybody if they could play and they were big time players it didn't matter what their grades were uh, a lot of change obviously we are so selective now compared to that but um it's totally different um the campus looks different. The, to me, the surroundings are different. I love it here. You know, I'm my like golf course and my house and everything is right here. And I've been here, obviously, as you said, 35 years. Two years. I've been here 37 years all told.
3: Could you teach biology today?
0: I don't. <laughs> I taught biology for seven years. No, um, no,
3: no. Could you could you teach it today?
0: That's a good question. Uh, I taught biology. I tried to stay one day ahead of the students, so they they thought I knew what I was doing. And uh, <laughs> they're a little smarter now, so I don't know if I could.
3: <laughs> All right. So, so the the first the first big guy that that really, you know, that went up into the NBA was Rod Strickland. How did yeah. you get? How did you get Rod from the projects to mouth of Wilson, Virginia?
0: Yeah, he went to Truman High School. Uh, they won a state championship. His high school coach was Steve Lapis. You know who he is. Uh-huh. And of course. Lap, I think Lap made the first call down here. And then the AU coach, well, AU, probably the GM. He wasn't, I don't know if he was the coach. Lou Delmada Lou Del was with the Gauchos. Uh, he called. And uh, back then when the kids in New York, when they left New York, they came to Oak Hill. I mean, they, that's basically where they went. They came to Oak Hill. There was a few other places they might go, but the best players wanted to come here. They didn't have all these options that they have today. Um, he was coming for academics to get out of the city. And uh, so he, he came. Uh, he actually came a week late. And uh, it's a good story on Rock when he walked in the gym, we'd not seen him. This is 1984, uh, and, um, you know, there's no – there's no internet. There's no uh, cell phone. There's no, you know, you're not looking at film and all that. Um, so we all we went on was hearsay, how good he was supposed to be. And when he showed up, obviously our team was already here for a week, and we were working out that night. And there was probably ten coaches in the gym. And Frank Marino, who's a longtime New Yorker, five-star guy, was an assistant at Detroit, was here. I remember Frank was here that night. And we give him a roster, and he's watching the team. And, he's, and we said, we got another one coming tonight. We told him who it was. We said, Rod Strickland. He goes, Rod Strickland from New York? I said, yeah. He goes, Coach, when he walks in this gym, he will own this gym. I go, no way. Because we had good players. And we had a point guard. I felt bad for the kid after about 20 minutes. But we had a point guard who we thought was a point guard who so ended up going to Cincinnati. I mean, he was a good player. But when Rod walked in, he he did own the gym. And, that poor guy couldn't didn't play a minute all year. He played his senior and was our starting point guard, but uh, you know he came here thinking he was our guy. But we didn't know. Like I said, we didn't know how good Rod was, and you know that's how Rod got here through his AU coach and his high school coach.
2: How do you explain like just how good he was seeing Rod Strickland at that time?
0: He probably. We've had counting Cole, unless. Something happens where he's injured, Cole's going to play in the NBA. He would be the 10th point guard that played at Oak Hill that went on to college and then played in the NBA. 10. I still think Rod's better than all of them. Um, he was mm. that good and uh, he just had an unbelievable feel for the game. He could get wherever he wanted to with the ball. I mean, anywhere he wanted to. Um, I remember a game late in the year where we were playing. Uh, flint hill flint hill back then was really good flint hill was top five in the country when we played them they had dennis scott and aaron bain a bunch of a bunch of guys and uh we're playing them up there in dc and game was tied i can tell you the score no I do not think i'm good with numbers but i'm good with stats and i'm good with stats and scores so i can tell you scores from every game and uh it was 65 all with about two minutes to go. We diagram a bunch of stuff in the, t- in the huddle. We come out of the huddle. I get Rod to the size of Rod. Come here. Forget everything I just said. Forget everything we talked about. <laughs> just take it and take the game over. He scored 10 straight points. We won the game. They didn't. Two minutes? Scored. Yeah. Two minutes. He scored 10 straight points. We won the game 75-65. They were, I think they had <laughs> one loss. we were ranked two or three in the country. And, uh, i mean you couldn't guard that guy he was unguardable i mean he was in high school you could not guard him one-on-one so if they're playing you man-to-man you spread the court if you had him now if i had him now and running dribble drive or whatever uh you couldn't guard the guy it's impossible i mean he's just and he looked like he was playing in slow motion you know he showed no emotion uh he wasn't a jet up and down the floor but when he had the ball in his hands he was actually quicker than when he didn't have the ball in his hands. And he, he honestly could go wherever he wanted to go. I heard him, I heard Michael Jordan speak at a five-star camp years ago. I mean, it'd be 25, 30 years ago when he was in his prime. And one of the he had a, was doing a Q&A, and one of the kids asked him, who's the toughest guy for you to guard? He said, Rod Strickland. Now, that's Michael mm. Jordan. So yeah, that tells you, you know, most people don't know that about Rod. When I mean, you talk to some people about Rod, they're like, who's Rod Strickland? But he was I mean, he was phenomenal. Um, uh, went to DePaul obviously and back then DePaul was like America's team. They were on WGN that when that was a big deal. And uh right. I mean they were number one in the country one year when he was there and uh you know, he, he got his way a little bit. He'll tell you he was immature some and could have been better, but um I mean still probably top ten, fifteen in the NBA in history in assists. Uh mm-hmm. And Maybe the only guy I ever had he averaged twenty and ten at the All Star break didn't make the All Star team. So I don't know. <laughs> I never. It was. He was not hard to coach. Um, but I've had a lot of kids on down the line. The coaches say, "Was he hard to coach?" Because they'll see him in the pros or whatever. I said, "Not when he's in high school," because he didn't know how good he was, you know. And he thought I could coach, so it all worked yeah. out.
3: <laughs> right. So, so who who are some of those guys that you get asked about a lot?
0: Well, I had Rayon Rondo. You know, they'll go, how hard was he to coach? I go, honest to goodness, he was about as easy a coach you can get because he he did whatever I told him. He was quiet. He was from Kentucky. He was about the 85th-ranked high school player in the country starting his senior year. He had no earthly idea how good he was. And I saw him in one week and going, if there's somebody better than this guy at at the point position, I'd like to see him. And uh, because I had the kid, uh, wow, I need to remember his name. He's from Florida. He was the second-ranked point guard in the class, and he wanted to come, and his dad couldn't believe that I wouldn't take him because I was taking Ray John Rondo over him. He was the kid that missed the three free throws at Memphis. Uh um, oh, Washington.
2: No, Dwayne Washington? Dwayne Washington.
0: And yeah. uh, I said, look, I told his dad, I said, look, I'm not taking two players that I think are that good at the same position, especially the point position. It's best if they're not going to be happy. Somebody's going home, so why do it? I said, uh, Ray John Rondo is my point guard. He's going to be my point guard. and uh, So anyway, I get to the McDonald's game that year. Of course, they both make the McDonald's game. Rajon goes from 85th and the 15th ranked point guard to making the McDonald's game. That doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. because it's usually picked. Those guys are usually – their rep comes from, you know, prior to yes. their senior year. But he blew up that much. We were 44-0 and 0 and national champs and all that. And everybody saw him and saw how good he was. Um, and then uh, he ends up. You know, I go to the game, I'm sitting in the second row on the aisle. The third row on the aisle behind me is Washington's dad. <laughs> and he taps me on the shoulder and he says something like, yeah, he's better than I thought. I said, I told you. <laughs> told you how good he was. You didn't believe me. <laughs> he was the best player in the game. I mean, he was all the – I had Josh Smith that year and all the pro scouts would come because that, that year you could come out. They would all come to see Josh because they knew Josh wasn't going to college and they all left telling me that your best player is Rajon Rondo, not Josh Smith. I go, I know, I could have told you that before you got here. So, I mean, it was not that Josh couldn't play, it was Rajon was that good. So, Rajon's the one everybody thinks was, I guess he's a little stubborn. The reason he's he's looked at it' because he's really, really smart, and when a coach says we're going to run this, he, he probably is going to say, look, coach, this is. I think we need to run this play. I think this guy needs mm-hmm. to get a shot. I think I need to, I mean, he's that smart on the floor, and of course, in high school he, he was smart, but not not quite the same feel that he has now. But um uh, I mean, he'd be a great coach. I mean, and he's been those guys that coach now that, that that gave me trouble before. I used to go, remember the headaches you gave me in high school? Now you're a coach. See, you're gonna get paid back. <laughs> you're all get paid back. But uh, I mean, Ray John one comes to mind because everybody just thinks he's not coachable, and uh he was very very coachable. And when I had him and. Uh, you know, I just, you know, and there's been a few others I can't think off the top of my head, but Ray John pops up and, uh, you know, Brandon Janney, Maybe people think he's not coachable. He's he's very coachable. I mean, he and I have the best relationship with any player I've ever coached probably. Uh, we're very close even to this day, and uh, we talk all the time. And he comes up here and works out still from California and stays in the cabin for a week and works out in our gym in the Springs and plays pickup with our guys and uh the guys are a little different. They just see them on TV or a sports center and people don't know them, you know, when
1: sure.
0: you guys work with them all the time and have coached them or played with them, you know, we, we know those guys a little better than most people.
2: Coach, before you move on, on the Rondo topic, um, I've read that you have a, a great story about Rondo's recruitment to oh, Kentucky yeah. by Tubby Smith.
0: It involves several guys. Um when he got here in the fall, of course, like I said, he wasn't rated that highly. He had two offers in November. He was offered by Clemson and NC Charlotte. Wow. That's it. Clemson and NC Charlotte. So uh he didn't want to go to either one. I mean that I'm talking visits. He's only offered those two visits and they both offered him a scholarship obviously. So he comes in my office and Coach, 'Cause I'm not gonna sign early. I go, That's fine. I said, You shouldn't sign early. 'Cause I know how good you are and you're gonna blow up and you're gonna get I can't tell you who's gonna recruit you, but you're gonna have several offers, trust me. So he waits. And it's still a little slow, you know, it's into December, and um, he comes in and sits down and he says, um, he's very much a home guy. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, Coach, I wanna go to school nowhere no more than three or four hours from home. I said, well, where would you go? So he gives me a list of Illinois Indiana, Cincinnati, Kentucky. Louisville was recruiting him but they took um Telfair. They took Telfair and Patino still he did have that offer but Rajon had enough of a ego that he's like I'm not I'm second fiddle and I'm from Louisville and he knew I was going to go there and he took Telfair I'm not going. And Patino wanted to take them both and but he said no. So they're out. So that leaves Kentucky, Cincinnati, Indiana, Illinois. Then he told me I'll go to any of those four schools that they offer me, any of them. Well, I don't pick up the phone and call coaches in this recruiting deal. I mean, when you do that, you usually think your guy can't play or he's got a problem, <laughs> you know. Um, I called John, That's not how it works. But I said, for you, Ray John, I'll, I know all these coaches, so I'll call them. So I call. I, I don't remember who I called first, but I do remember calling Mike Davis in Indiana. I do remember calling Hugs in Cincinnati, uh, Tubby, and uh, who's the other one? Oh, Illinois was um, Weber. So, Weber, Illinois is interested. So, they set up a visit. The others don't want to bring him in for whatever reason. They're like, a couple of them said he wasn't good enough. A couple of them said he can't shoot, whatever. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, he can play. He goes – He's, I think he visited Illinois. He was supposed to be around. He was during our Christmas break. I'm trying to remember if he did or he didn't. I'm pretty sure he went there. And they, I think they really thought they were going to get him. Uh, he comes to me like when the second semester starts in January. He says, Coach, I would die to go to Kentucky. I said, well, Rajon, they're not going to recruit you. I called them. I think I called them in November and December. I said, I've called them twice. I don't think they're going to recruit you. I said, but I'll I'll call one more time. So I called Scott Rizzo, the assistant at the time. I'm going to tell the assistant. I said, Scott, this kid is really, really, really good. He's vastly improved from whenever Tubby saw him last. And I'm telling you, he's better than anybody you got. And uh, of course, they didn't believe me. But Scott, Scott agreed. He goes, I really like him. He goes, he goes, "Uh, let me talk Tubby. So he gets Tubby to call me. I talked to Tubby, and Tommy doesn't agree with me, but he tells he does say this. He goes, "All right, we play Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, I think it was a Tuesday night. Tuesday night, and we're two hours and a half from Knoxville. And I said, I will practice afternoon. I'll bring him the game. How's that? He goes, All right, you bring him the game. He goes, If we win, I'll come to your practice on Wednesday. If we don't win, he goes, I'm not. I'm not going to be there because I got to work with my team. I understand." blah, Blah blah. So we go to the game. They win the game by two points. And uh, so the next day we're practicing. About 45 minutes into practice, Tubby walks in. He's Mm -hmm. late. So I just keep coaching the team. I don't walk over and say anything to him. So I'm in practice for like probably 30 minutes. We take a water break. I walk over there. And I say, Coach, how are you? Welcome to campus, blah, blah, blah. He'd been here 100 times, but, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. And he, he takes me to the side and he goes, Coach, I didn't know he was that good. I told you how good he was. I said I told you he's. Trust me, you're not gonna get anybody better than he is. And uh, so he ends up visiting like that weekend, and he commits right away. And I mean, if I don't call him, if they don't win that game in Knoxville, he don't go. He's not. A, he's not a Kentucky. Uh, yeah. He plays up in Illinois or somewhere. But that's how he got to Kentucky, and uh, they got him. You know, how they were you a kid for. You recruit a kid like Ray John Rondo for a year and not get him sometimes. They made one visit, probably called his family once, and he committed.
3: (laughs) Uh, That's incredible.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, We how recruiting works sometimes.
3: Yeah, I'd say. I'd say. Uh, Speaking of the uh, guys coming on campus, do you want – and I want to get back to some of the individual player stories. Do you want NBA scouts back in high school gyms?
0: It doesn't bother me. Uh, I want the rule back in where and I think it's ridiculous for some of these kids to go to college. And it's only – a. I mean, everybody goes, oh, there's going to be all these kids going. No, it's not. It's like four or five kids. The, top, the guy that's ranked 15th in the country is not going to go to the NBA. If he does, he's right. crazy. He's not going to make it. Uh, now, if they go and they do this, if they beef up the uh, pay scale and the – I guess, what is it now? Is it still g yeah. yeah, if they beef that up and give them $100,000 or whatever, yeah, kids are going to do that. and Some kids are going to do that and not go to college. Um, but things have changed so much. I mean, You want guys that want to go to college to go to college. You want guys that don't want to go, they shouldn't have to go. And if they're going to go for a year, it's a farce. I mean, they go and take six hours in the fall, and they're eligible for the year. And They don't go to class the second semester. Some of them do, depends on the coach you're playing for. Mm-hmm. They say they do, but... You know, I've had coaches say, oh, my God, I'll make my guy go to class. No, I know your kid and he's not going to class because my <laughs> kid's tough to the kid and your kid's not going to school. I know he's not. But it sounds good, but, I mean, it's a farce. It's, I mean, might as well, they might as well go and get paid, you know, and, and learn from an NBA coach or whether it's a G-leg or whatever it is. But if you're good enough, um, and it's just going to be a select few. It's not going to be a mass exodus of kids not going. Now, it might be years from now. I don't know if things change. You start handing out a hundred thousand dollars to these kids, yeah, a lot of them are not going to go to college. Hundred thousand dollars, some of these kids is a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, you, people don't understand where they're from and uh, and their parents, you know, where they're from. So I mean, it's just. But I think the rule should it either should be they could come out or they got to go two years. You know that you got to do the one year thing is a complete joke. Um, and then you got, you know, I mean, it's just hard on. I know some coaches choose to do it that way. You know, Kentucky's doing it, and Duke's been doing it, and I mean, a lot of schools would do it if they could do it. You're not gonna not take a one-year guy. You know, they always like, I can't believe Coach K would do that. Of course, he, why would you not take the best right. player in the country? Exactly. If it's one year, it's one year. I've been doing it for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: you, you could coach him for one year. You, I mean, you got, you got several months to make him into a. You know, a, a team that you can, and then you got seven months until the tournament comes around. Um, it's happened. I mean, Kentucky's won it with one and done. The Dukes won it. Um, but, you know, it's just, I um, mean, it's just the rule had to be changed. I guess 2022 might be the, one I'm hearing, the first class yeah. that can come out. Um, I'm sure it'll be, it's going to be revamped, it's not going to be like it used to be, but uh, it'll be interesting when it's all said and done. I just hadn't followed it that closely, uh, but I, that's what I've heard, like, 2022, they can come out. So, you really know, the ones are good enough. I mean, I've had several probably that would have. I've had two that did. I had Sagana Jopp, uh, in 2001 or two. He went seventh pick, eighth pick to the Cavs, and then Josh Smith was the 17th pick. That was in uh, 2004. So, but I'm thinking of the guys that I've had, you know, like – Jerry Stackhouse was a full-grown man in high school. I'm thinking of uh, whether they're ready or not. You know, Ron Mercer, in 1995. I um, mean, you know, all those. i you have know, had some players that probably could do it. But
3: um, well, you'd you'd but KD you'd KD under? just you'd KD just junior year, and then he was one of them in Texas. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he, the year he went was good for him because he's, of course, he's still slight. You know, body size. He was very thin in high school. Um, he was like six nine. I oh, mean, I don't know what he weighed. I'd say 170, 175. He was really thin. So, you know, another a year at Texas was good for him. Um, M- Mello could have, Mello could have gone. When he was here, he was the uh everybody I talked to said top ten pick. So I told him, I said, because he asked me, what What are they saying? I go, you're top ten now. And he said, well, if I get a test score, coach, I told my mother I'm going to college. And I don't know that many in his family had gone or if anybody had gone. And he, the day he got his test score, I called him in. It was like April. And I said, Carmelo, you got you got a qualifying test score with your grades. And he goes, he ran down the hall. He was screaming, telling everybody what he got. <laughs> <laughs> he never mentioned going to the NBA again.
1: Wow.
0: And he could have been – he would have definitely been a lottery pick. But he went to Syracuse, won a national championship, had that big smile every time he was interviewed, and made – you know, big bucks from endorsements, which he would not have got straight out of high school. He would have got endorsement money, but not the same endorsement deal he got from Nike. Um, Cause I know what his deal was. I know what he got when he left Syracuse from Nike and he wouldn't have got that out of high school. He would have, and he was a third pick. So he would have bumped up a little money wise as far as let's say he goes seven or eight out of high school and he goes three out of college, but he made a lot of money on endorsements and, uh, anyone in the national championship, you know, you never can right replace
3: that. What what could Carmelo do right now or say right now to put him on an NBA roster?
0: I don't know. I mean I don't he he Mel's a great guy, so I don't know if he's misread or what. I don't know what the problem is. And you telling me you got fifteen guys on your roster better than Carmelo Anthony? Yeah,
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean yeah probably probably you know, not. Probably not.
0: So when you know he's older, and you take you take young guys and say, ah, oh, let's, let's go with the younger guy. He's not a negative influence on your team. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. When you saw him on the Olympic team, he's probably the best Olympic teammate they had for four Olympics, and uh, he was probably one of the better players. When he played on a team like that with really good players, well, he was good. I mean, he was big time. And then uh, he's had to carry teams in the NBA. He's been on teams that weren't that good um, so he gets blamed for everything. And I understand if you're the guy, you know, I mean, I'm a coach. If something went wrong last year, I, Cole Anthony was in my office. I was talking to Cole Anthony. You know, I understand that goes with the territory and you're the guy on your team, but to get blamed for everything, if your team loses, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, the morale of the team from how the team plays, they blame you for everything. So I, That's kind of unfair, because I know him, and I know. I mean, he's a great guy, and he wants to win. And late in his, especially this late in his career, I mean, I would think he just wants to be on a team and help a team and try to win games. He's not going to be a, a guy that tears a team down or hurts a team or takes a guy's spot that maybe you bring these young guys in there that aren't that good. They're not going to last anyway. They play two years and they're out. I've had many guys on my, that played for me here that played two years in the league and they were gone. and they're decent players, but they're not great players. Like Carmelo's a great mm. player; he's a Hall of Famer. Um, so I don't know what he would have to do. I mean, I'm not in an NBA circle. I'm my high school coach for 37 years. So um,
3: you need to get. What is that? Is that a recruit calling you? Say, hey, coach, can I come to Oak Hill?
0: It might be. I don't know. <laughs> if you cost me a player right now, I'll be could. <laughs>
3: if, it, if it's Cal Perry, tell him. Uh, I'm looking at, look at the area code.
0: code's eight five nine. That's Kentucky, so I don't know. Pick it There's up. No see players. if it's
3: pick it up. See if it's Cal Perry and then uh, and you can talk to him. We'll just keep rolling. <laughs>
0: <There's> no <laughs> players, not many players in Kentucky.
3: I gotta uh, ask you then about about a guy that, that you didn't have and and that's Lamar Odom. Is is yeah. that the is that the last home loss you had? It is. Okay, so yeah. so how many? So how many in a row is that?
0: It's over three hundred fifty straight home wins. Yeah. Okay.
3: The, and and can...
0: lost a home game in nineteen. They lost in December of nineteen eighty-two. To uh, it's a school is closed now. Baltimore Cardinal Gibbons. They were like, what I was told, they were like number four in USA Day. Came down here. They beat Oakio by like one, a couple overtime. That was in eighty-two. So then there was fifteen straight years. Till the next loss, which would be ninety-seven, and then we lost twenty. It's twenty-two years later. We still haven't lost. So that's a great story on the game. If you want to hear it,
3: yeah, yeah. So right, and so start with and and you've told me, you've told me some of this story before, and 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 part of it had to do with the, like the night before the game before when you thought yeah. Lamar was going to play.
0: So we play. We got him scheduled for Monday night. He goes to Redemptors Christian, which is upstate New York, Troy, New York and uh, I think it's a boarding school, private school. Anyway, they set up a game with us and somebody else. They were playing a team in Tennessee on – supposed to play them on Tuesday, so they had a two-game road trip down here. And uh, so on Monday, I'm trying to – get, you know, it's 1997, still way back, and I'm trying to get a scouting report on them coming in here because I know they got in and they're going to be pretty good. So uh, I'm calling around anyway. Well, I called Tom Kinchowski. and, mm-hmm. you know, Tom – Tom knows everything about anybody on the East Coast, especially from New York. So I call Tom, and I'm talking to Tom about uh, Lamar and the team and all. And um, anyway, you know, he tells me what he knows. We play him Monday night. Lamar is awful. He does play in the game, but he is terrible. I mean, he does not – I wish I'd pull a look out. But he did not score the first three quarters. He was scoreless, I t- scoreless going into the fourth quarter, and he scored nine points. So after the game, Tom said, you know, call me after the game. Let me know how the game went. So I called Tom, and I'm telling Tom about the game. And I, Rick Pitino was here that night recruiting Lamar Odom. Passed me in the hall at Oak Hill and said he wasn't recruiting any of my players that year. He said, I'm out of here. I'm not recruiting this guy. I mean, he was—he looked like he didn't care. I mean, that's how he played. So uh, I tell Tom, I said, he was terrible. And he goes, well, who was the best player? And I said, Raheem Johnson. He was Raheem Johnson. He goes, he's not on the roster. I go, yeah, he is. He goes, no, he's not. I was at the Maine Central Invitational this weekend. He was the MVP for Maine Central. I go, I'm telling you, he played night no kill, he had 29 points. And he, he said, are you sure it's the same guy? And I spelled his name. He said, what you look like? And I told him, I said, he's like six, seven, six, eight, big body, like 240. He goes, left hand. He goes, that's him. He goes, well, he played Saturday night for Maine Central. Well, I didn't know because, you know, this is in the old days. That guy must have – so apparently here's the story. Tom goes, I'll tell you why Lamar didn't play well. Lamar didn't want to go to Maine Central this year because Raheem was there and he didn't want to play with him. So when that kid showed up, I guess he left Redemptor's Christian Saturday night after that – I mean, Maine Central after that game Saturday night, I think he got in some trouble. They take him over at Redemptor's Christian the next day and he gets in the van and rides down with the team. Never been to a practice. Well, Lamar didn't want to play with him, obviously, because he didn't want to play with him there. So he didn't want to play with him Monday night. So we ended up winning the game by, like, 30 points. Tuesday night, they go to Tennessee, and the game gets canceled. The coach calls me and says, Coach, we came all the way down here for one game. Can we play you on the way back? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll play you on the way back. I mean, we just beat you by 30. I didn't say this to myself. So Mm -hmm. they show up Tuesday night. Well, they come in about 1 o'clock. They want to have a shoot around. They want to have a study hall. Lamar sticks his head in my office door. And I'd known him uh, from the summer before. And he says, Coach, he said, That ain't going to be like Monday night. <laughs> I said, Oh, it's not. You gonna play. I said, You going to play tonight? And he goes, I'm playing tonight. I said, Okay. So I didn't think much of it. And he played. He had 39 points, and we lost by two. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and
0: that's what happened. But a good part of that story what, what? is, Jim Avery, who played at Duke, you probably remember Will. Sure. Yeah, sure. We're down two, uh, eight seconds to go. We got a baseline out. We got to go length of the court. So at the timeout. It's our last timeout. And I look at the officials and, you know, I mean, I'm pretty friendly with our guys around here. I mean, the head official standing there, I said, we're going to take you to the basket. You need to make a call. And the main official, he goes, Coach, we will call a foul. I said, all right. So I go in the huddle. <laughs> I, tell, I go in the huddle. I tell Will, I go, Will, get it to the basket. We ran a little play to get him so he'd catch it on the run up the court, make sure he got there. I said, get it to the rim. Go strong. You're going to get a call. You understand me. He goes, I got you, coach. So he takes it, and he's an All-American. Donald's yeah. All-American. going to do. He drives it full court. He gets about where the old – back then it was a dotted line. He gets it to the dotted line, so he's like six feet. He kicks it to the corner to a guy, we're down two, for a wide-open three. And I'm like, what are you doing? the <sighs> guy takes me about a second. I could tell in his eyes he did not want the ball. Ah. Uh. He did not want to take the last shot. He takes yeah. it misses it. So when I get to the dressing room after the game, I'm like, Will, do you not understand what I told you in the huddle? I said, he goes, well, there wasn't anybody around me. I said, exactly. I said, it didn't matter. They're going to blow the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to call a foul. You're going to get an air one. Maybe we might win the game straight up. We might not even have to go to overtime. Wait <laughs> uh-huh. the ball in, and they're going to call a foul. He goes, I didn't quite understand that. I said, no, I, you don't understand we're after every game in here for 18 straight years. We're going to get a call. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You didn't understand your coach. Well, I said, maybe I didn't explain myself. I was so mad.
3: <laughs> with, with, did, did Raheem Johnson play that night?
0: Oh, yeah. But he wasn't the man. Lamar was, you know. Yeah. But they played together. I guess they had a – they must have had a little powwow, the two of them. Uh-huh. They both got them together and said, look, this is not good. And – uh because they, they and Raheem was going to USC Southern Cal. I mean, he was a big time player. It wasn't so they had Lamar, they had him, they had I don't remember the other guys, but I mean, their whole first five was Division One. But that's the only game we lost. It wasn't even on the schedule till I res you know till I added it. So uh, it's my fault. If I hadn't done it, we'd it'd be a thirty-seven year win streak.
3: <laughs> it's like the only thing in your career that's your fault, right? Is that is that?
0: It'd be great to retire one and say you never lost one home game, wouldn't it? Now I gotta say I lost a home game.
3: <laughs> yeah, but you got a great you got you got a great story for the Hall of Fame speech, that's for sure. That but is But it sounds true.
0: great when you say you lost one. It sounds great.
3: <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, Coach. When I know you've been asked many times about the best team you've had, and your your team in '89-'90 yeah. was your first undefeated team, and then, yeah. but in '92-'93 you have four NBA players: Jeff McGinnis, Mark Blunt, Mectaranjai and and Jerry Stackhouse, I'm curious just how much that team sort of changed the trajectory of of Oak Hill, that this famous squad, and also just Stackhouse in general, what it was like to to watch him come come through the program.
0: And that was definitely, I mean, 1990 was an unbelievable team, um, and we you know we were there. Was people said, "Oh, that's the best team in the country," but we weren't number one. I guess we didn't have the rep yet. Uh, they, that year they had of um, the King from Chicago. They put them in front of us, which I thought if we played them, we'd have beat them. But, you know, back then you didn't play as much of a national scale as you do now. So we didn't have the opportunity to play. But by far, no question, 92-93 was the team that, like, put Hill on the map. Uh, but the players that we had, Stackhouse, uh, McGee- we again, had, We had two Division One players at every position. I mean, I had backups at every position that were Division One, We never had that before. We never had that many players that were that level. Um, I mean, I had – Mark Blunt came off the bench. He backed up Maktar Injai, who started at <laughs> Carolina. Um, Tavars Johnson, who was the most valuable player at Xavier, two years. He backed up Alex Sanders, who played at Louisville. Um, Sunshine Smith from Las Vegas backed up. He um, played for UNLV. He was from Christ the King. And he's all-world in New York City. He's backing up. Jeff McGinnis at the point, and I played him off the ball at the two, so to keep his minutes, to keep him happy, so and then Stack was at the three, um, I had a kid that backed him up and went to Ole Miss, so I mean, we had an unbelievable team, and then with Jerry's, um, I his, mean, his exposure, I mean, he was, you know, he's coming from North Carolina, he was going to North University of North Carolina, he was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan, you know, I mean, it was just the coming together that happened in Mount of Wilson that put Oak Hill Basel on the map. Everybody knew about us from that point on. The next year we were number one in the country again. Um, so it kind of steamrolled from that team. I mean, people always – my former players always try to say, who was your best team? I don't tell them, but it's hard. It would be hard to beat that team. <laughs> I don't know how you could get a high school team. I mean, I don't know any high school team. I mean, they talk about the the Dunbar, Baltimore-Dunbar team, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe some of the DeMatha teams. Um, you know, the New York teams, you know, I don't, I don't know which, who they think the best team out of New York City. Tom Kinchowski would definitely be able to tell you that one. But uh, it may be hard for us to have a better team than that that team, and, and that was 25, 26 years ago this year. So uh, Jeff McGinnis was a – I mean, for a point guard in high school, it was hard to find a guy to compete like he did, hated to lose. Stack hated to lose. All those guys, they were, they were grown men before the weight room was that important to anybody. These guys were like full-grown men out there. We looked like a college team. Um, I remember colleges coming in and going, yo, I take that team. We go to the final eight right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we would be an elite eight team right now. I had more than one tell me that. I had a couple go, y'all can compete in the final four. I mean, that, that was that dominant of a high school team. I don't know if it was that good at that point. But if you had that team for four years, yeah. If you took those guys and all went to college, you probably win national championship with that team. But, um, you know, three of them did go to Carolina and went to Final Four. Yeah. Um, MacTar, Jerry, and Touche went, and they were in the Final Four in Seattle. So, um, I mean, that was a great team, and uh, that did kind of put Okill on the map.
3: Are you going to be sending kids to Vandy now?
0: Yeah, I talked to Jerry. Um, funny because he walked up to me and goes, Coach you got anybody that can do the work at Vandy? <laughs> <laughs> I
3: said,
0: well, I have had I, given years we do, I wouldn't say every year we do, but, uh, I said, times have changed. Um, you know, I've most of my guys are good students. Now, back in the day, the kids would come, you know, to play basketball here because they want to make sure they qualified.
1: Mm-hmm. Now
0: it's not, that's not why they come. They come for the exposure. They come for the schedule. They come for the competition. You know, they come to get uh, more scholarship offers. Um, and they're not coming because they get great problems. We're college prep and the school's been here hundred this is our hundred and forty year, founded in eighteen seventy eight. Um uh, so uh but so it's changed through the years why kids come and especially for the basketball team. But um, you know, I got I got honor students. Now I got a couple that are definitely could get into Vandy, I just gotta make sure they're good enough. I got a couple of underclassmen and uh, so hopefully I'll have guys good enough I've had one kid go to Vandy. Shelton Mitchell went and he transferred. This was a few years ago. He went to Clemson, finished up there last year. So, uh, yeah, you do you do have to uh, have a little higher standard there. Um, some schools say that. It's not really true. <laughs> you know, you can get in there with whatever, the minimum. But the other student, the normal student can't. But, now, Vandy, you do. Because uh, Shelton was easily a qualifier anywhere he wanted to go. And we had to work hard to get him in there because he wanted to go there. And uh, We had to do a lot of paperwork and send a lot of recommendations and all kinds of stuff to get him accepted there. So it it is a little harder there. But Jerry will do a great job. He's a great coach, great motivator. He'll recruit players. So I think he'll do great. He's already got some kids in there that they haven't been getting. got some transfers that are going to help him. So I I think he'll do a great job there. That's just a hard job when you're in there with the SEC, my goodness.
3: Mm -hmm. you Just talking about Sag House just reminded me of something else before I want to ask you about uh, your own career. Stack is known in NBA circles as like the captain of the all back alley team. Is there, is there anyone, is there anyone that you would say that that's come through your program would say, yeah, he'd have a shot in the back alley against Stackhouse?
0: I wouldn't want to meet him there. i tell you in high school, everybody scared of him. (laughs) He was bigger and stronger in high school physically than he is now. I mean, I, I see him now. I'm like, man, what'd you do to your body? I mean, he was a man in high school and, you could not guard him inside. You put him down low, and now he's a two guard is what he was in the NBA. And he played three for me and four at Carolina. He he literally played three for me, and he played the four at North Carolina. So, <laughs> usually that doesn't happen. Usually you're no. playing center, center in high school, and then they get you in college. You can maybe play the wing or something. It's the dead opposite with him here. So, uh, but, I mean, that, oh, boy, he was a – I would not want to meet him in an alley. I wouldn't want to meet yeah. him in a – in a lighted area, even. <laughs> I,
2: thought go, I thought you'd go with Steven Jackson.
0: Now, Jack Jack will fight him now, no question. I don't know if he beat him. But... <laughs> yeah, he's crazy enough to fight him. Jack's not going back down to anybody either.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's crazy enough to fight him. What was the last, he's yeah. bringing a stack now, getting a college job. What was the last college job you were offered?
0: Have not entertained or been offered a job since Louisville in about the late 90s. Huh. I'm from Kentucky, so now when I first – I was at Oak Hill two years. I figured I'd do what Larry did, be here two years in both. So I was here two years on vacation with my family in Hilton Head, and Tubby uh, Smith left VCU, called me. Tubby was an assistant and said, uh, you want my job, it's yours. Mike Pelio's is the head coach. He wants you. I flew. I left my family from Hilton Head, flew up there. Uh, it wasn't really an interview because he was offering me the job. You know, he's basically just sitting down and goes, You want the job? I said, Give me a couple of days. Well, I didn't take it because I, I checked around. Tubby told me he had two years, and I checked around. And I go, Tubby, you sure? The word is he's on the hot seat. Well, he got fired in December.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. So I made a good move there. And then two years later, I almost went to Pitt twice, two years in a row. I almost went to Pitt like in 1990, 1991 with Paul Evans. Um, once again, I've never interviewed. I've gone. And been offered jobs. Uh, I was offered a job in Oregon with Jerry Green, um, Louisville with Denny Crom. Um, but like I was, I was in '97. I think it was '97. I was going to take that job because I'm from Kentucky. And uh, I went down, met with uh, Jurich, the AD, played golf, looked at houses, called home, called my wife, and said, "Hey, I think we're going to take the job." I didn't tell our kids. My kids were. Uh, A rising senior, my daughter, and a rising junior in high school. So when I get home, my wife meets me at the door and says – because I basically told her I'm taking the job. And she says, it's in the summertime. She goes, you need to go talk to your daughter. She's in there crying. I'm like, what? Why? I said, did you say something? And she said, no. She was on the other line. This is back in the day. We all had telephones, two or three in the house. She heard our conversation. I said oh my word so she was mad because we didn't tell her and she's a senior you You know she's a cheerleader she's homecoming court she's all this so I go in there and she's crying like a baby and we're going to leave my senior year I said no 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 we got it worked out I'm going to go to Louisville I'm going to get a place down there I'll find us a house you're going to stay here in Independence Virginia you're going to get an apartment it's all going to be taken care of and my son's a junior he's listening to the whole conversation so he goes so we're gonna leave when I'm a senior. Jeez. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> I was getting tag teamed, so uh, anyway, I would end up not going, and I've never. And, and that, that was for the head 42. job. That was assistant job with with Dan okay. Trump. Got it. And I was forty two years old, and I said, "Well, I'm I'm forty two, um, and I'm watching. You know, I sit at my desk and watch the other side of the desk, and I see what these other guys got to do to get players and fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, get a rental car drive two hours old kill, chase a kid that that I was sitting here, knowing they got no chance of getting, and I'm thinking that could be me over there, yeah, <laughs> I'd never ever entertained another job again um after that, And I, like I said, I was forty two at the time, I'm like, what well, I don't wanna do that, you know, we got this thing rolling here pretty good, so sure, and then we we got it really going two thousand one two thousand four five six seven all through there we were one or two every year um it's a little harder now but i'm getting old too i'll be 64 in two weeks amazing
2: and you don't look it when i get you, out yeah because well, he's tan I'm when he sees right tan. A year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well coach
2: I, coach what about the uh, nba have you have you been offered any positions within the nba
0: no no that would be a bad gig but you know, be a scout or uh you know, an NBA type job like that wouldn't be bad, uh, especially at my age. But no, I've never, no, I never talked to anybody about that. I
2: I am, I'm curious how the whole thing works in terms of you. You made reference to it earlier in the podcast, but but just how it works when you bring in these guys that are. I mean, Harry Giles, I know, is the first number one player in the class that you that you that you had, but yeah. you always have guys in the top ten, top twenty. So when they come in, and another guy—I mean, you talked about it with the Rondo situation—you um, know, another guy's thinking that it's his spot the, the upcoming year. How do you make this whole mesh work? And that's that's what you've been so masterful at throughout throughout your career.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big part of the job because you know they all want to play. Obviously, like this year's team, uh, there's only one player—if you count sophomore, junior, seniors, whatever. There's only one guy that I think won't play Division One, So now you've got all these guys on one team. They're Division One players. They all want to play. They all want to start. Um, but I try to get a mix of, of underclassmen and seniors, um, you know, that I think will fit. It's still not – you're still not going to keep everybody 100% happy. Last year I had, uh, I had two players in 34 years go home on their own, two. Now I've sent kids home. Several. <laughs> but two hmm, came in and said, I got to go, coach. can't do it. I'm not starting. I'm not playing. Whatever. I had three last year, one year. So that tells you how times have changed. I had three come in. One after the first scrimmage. And he definitely was going to start. I'm not going to name any names, but he was going to start. But I told him I'm going to start different lineups for all three of our scrimmages. Boy, he, he couldn't understand that he didn't start in the first scrimmage. But he was definitely starting the next scrimmage. But I didn't even tell him that when he told me he was going to leave. I said, go ahead and leave. I said, because I – you obviously don't have what what it's made of to make it here and play for us and play for me. So he left. Another one left after the second scrimmage. And then the last one left after the third scrimmage. So they left. <laughs> all three D1 players, they all base it on <clears throat> a scrimmage or, or a couple of scrimmages. So that because of the mentality is a little different. So now I had to look in the mirror and go, did I say something? Did I do anything? Am I different than I was two years ago, five years ago? Uh, you know, I try to change with the times. Um, the way we do things, the way we play, you know, I'm not that old school. I'm not – I try to get my team in here, watch them for about a week, and then we decide what we're going to do on offense and defense. I don't say – I know most coaches coach style. We do like to play fast, but it depends. And we, some years we'll take a lot of threes. Some years we won't. It depends on our personnel. So, I mean, I think I do a good job of getting to know these guys, understanding them, being able to relate to them. Um, You know, you got to be a little bit of a shrink sometimes and convince them, hey, 12 minutes playing here and going against this guy in practice every day is going to make you better. And you're not, you know, especially if he's not a senior, you can, I think you can convince most of them, look, you're here to get better, you know. The games are gravy. Yeah, you want to play. Yeah, you want to be the guy and all that, but we're not all going to be the guy. And, And I do try to play at least early in the year, too. I'll play 10 guys almost equal. Now, when it gets nutcracking time, I'm not playing ten; just to play ten. I'm going to try to win the game, obviously. So, um, you know, you'll get to a eight, nine man rotation by the end of the year. You might be the seven man if it's a big game. So, uh, but but late in the year, it usually it's easier then. You know, they guys kind of know their role. They've you you've told them their role. They've fit into their role. They've been with their guys, the team. They're happy. So it's just early on it's tough. Like last year, I noticed. I mean, you play a scrimmage and the guy leaves. You play the first scrimmage, the guy leaves. You play the third scrimmage, the third guy leaves. I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought we had by far one of the best teams we've ever had last year in September. In November, we didn't because those three guys left. And, uh, you know, one's at Texas Tech, one's at Oregon. Uh, the other one's a senior this year. So, I mean, they were all high-level players. But they, they could not handle Cole, Cam, being the leading scores, Cam being a junior, Cole being a senior, you know, and Kofi, you know, at times, you know, I had to, we had to get Kofi shots. Our big center who went to Illinois, to make sure he was where he needed to be mentally. Uh, but I mean, I had one of the best backcourts I've ever had. But it's hard for guys to accept, oh, that guy's gonna get 20. I'm not getting 20. Well, you're getting 15 and 10 rebounds. What do you want? <laughs> you play, you playing a old kill. You're in your practice against a Division one guy every day. What do you? I don't know what you want, you know, if that's not, good, if that's not good enough. Go home. That's, you know, maybe we're not the place for you. So, you know, that's, <clears throat> it's a little different than it was. Um, like I say, I'm getting to be 64 and I'm going to be retiring soon. And maybe it's good. Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll remember the old days. Uh, I'll remember all the days, but I remember the old days and how things used to be and, um, you know, there's more guys around these kids. There's more mentors, trainers. They've all got a personal trainer. They've all got a personal workout guy. They've all got uh, summer coaches. Uh, their families are more involved. And the one thing I like from the new days from the old days is I don't have to handle the recruiting like I used to. I mean, I was the guy back in the 80s and 90s. I would go home at 7 o'clock after practice and be on the phone till midnight every single night. It was r- ridiculous. Right. All these co- I'd have seven Division One guys and five or six schools recruiting. That's 40 schools calling me every night Jeez. because I was the contact person and I'm not the contact person anymore. I'm the only thing I'm contact for. Coach, we're coming in. I'll see you on the ninth. See you on the 10th. Uh, hmm. What we get, we visit them. They, I, they don't recruit me. They recruited me before and they put the heat on me to get the player. So I made a few enemies, I'm sure. That part I don't miss at all. Um, now, I do have a couple kids. From, You know, on occasion, year to year, they'll say, "Coach, I need to know what you think. You've been around a long time." And I do know these coaches. I said, "I know the coaches. I know the style of play. I can find out if they got guys sitting out. I can find out who they recruited. You know, I can I can tell you what I because I always tell them the style of play and the opportunity to play are the two most important things because you all want to play as a freshman. Right? You go and they got three point guards and they got two sitting out and they don't tell you, you. You know, you're screwed." But I can find all that out. If they, but I don't ever tell them where to go anymore. I don't want them to call me and when they're sophomores say, Coach, why'd you tell me to go to this school? <laughs> so I don't even to them. I tell them on so You and your family, and if it's not your family, it's whoever it else, whoever your mentors are. That's fine. And uh, I'm not going to be the guy. I don't want you calling me complaining. I'll give you guidance if you ask me for guidance. I'll give you guidance because that's my job, and I owe that to you. But um, you know, back in the day, it was. Whew, you
2: talk about the heat now. You supposed to heat <laughs> on me. Something serious. <laughs> I thought you my guy. I am your guy. You just don't want to go there. I can't help you. <laughs> Coach, coach. Last one for me. Um, y- look, you you uh, talk about giving guidance. Can you give us some guidance, uh, Greg Anthony's son, as you just mentioned, Cole Anthony and, and Cam Thomas, or people that haven't seen those two guys play. Your next your next superstars. Um, yeah. Uh, what are they all about?
0: Cole is uh, – the good thing about Cole, he competes so hard. Um, he's not a spoiled guy. He's not entitled. I mean, his dad's Greg Anthony. I mean, he's been he's been Cole Anthony all world since whatever, eighth grade. And, of course, he's always Greg's son, Greg's son, which I don't know. He loves his dad, but I think he wants to be Cole Anthony. And Greg wants him to be Cole Anthony. And he plays so hard. He was the hardest working kid in practice last year. And I was worried about him because he gets a little injury prone because he's diving on the floor, he's taking charge. I'm like, yo, you got to I
3: mean, you gotta go easy a little
0: bit sometimes because you're a guy, you know. I can't have you getting hurt. But that's how he plays. He only knows one way to play. I mean, the guy averaged 10 rebounds a game. as was a point guard last year. Ten. He averaged seven defensive rebounds a game. He was our leading defensive rebounder. He's a wow, point guard. Great. He's just going to go get it because he don't trust anybody else. He's like, I got to go get it. I don't <laughs> trust this guy or that guy. Or, I gotta get the ball. We wanna win the game. I mean, he wants to win so bad. And uh but I mean, he's <clears throat> plus he's talented, he's so athletic, he's physically ready to go. Um I mean, you know, the players they've had at Carolina and I've had a couple of assistants tell me, This guy does stuff in practice we haven't never seen before. So I mean they're and they've had everybody down there. So he you know, he's at that level. He's a phenomenal player. I don't see anything that will stop him besides injuries because he's, he's mentally strong, too. He's not – I mean, he's got his head on straight. He knows where he wants to go. Um, he's he's he, he can shoot lights out, too, from the point position, which is big in the NBA now. Um, you know, the day of just having a guy come down and throw the ball and run to the corner, they they like scoring point guards. So um, I love scoring point guards. He he is that. So he he's going he's to have a great year at Carolina. And
1: <clears throat>
0: Cam is a – High volume guy, and that guy can score in bunches. Um, I tell him he's, i don't tell him. I tell everybody he's like a—he's like a six-three Kobe Bryant. I mean, he gets <clears throat> oh. Kobe's his hero, so he watches every move Kobe's ever made. Um, so he's got to step back, and I mean, he's got the jab series, which nobody does anymore. But he's got all this stuff, footwork, and he—I wish he was taller. I tell everybody if he was six-seven, it would be obscene what he could do on the floor. But um, you got to get into to buy in the garden a little bit, but he can be a good defender. He just, you know, he doesn't do it every possession, but he, he's got to in the in the future, obviously, and he needs to for us this year. And uh, but he can score the ball like and he averaged thirty, almost thirty a game this spring. y b l he averaged which he was leading the score. He was leading the score at the Peach Jam. He averaged like twenty seven, twenty eight a game. Uh, he takes two or three shots he doesn't need to take. I told him, I said you could take two or three shots out of your shot Arsenal every game and have the same average, same point average. He looked at me, smiled. He goes, I know. I said, because you force up two or three. I said, you just take those out of there. And he has heat checks on occasion. You If he bombs like a 20-footer, then he's going to bomb a 22-footer. And he makes that, then he's going to – the next one down, he's going to try to shoot 25-footers. So, you know, he'll he'll take a shot like that that he doesn't need to take. Uh, Problem is sometimes it goes in. (laughs) And he'll look at you like, yeah, okay, coach. And uh, so, you know, it's hard, but um, we need him to score this year, obviously. And, you know, he I don't know any two-guard out there that can score like he can. There may be some that are more physically gifted. Maybe they're taller. Um, you know, he's he's kind of point guard size at being 6'3 now, but he's really worked on his body. He's strong. Uh, he doesn't get knocked off the ball. I mean, he knocks you off the ball now, and he's when he gets to the hole, he gets hit and finishes. Um, he he's really 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 good offensively
3: yeah i'm looking forward to seeing you guys back in uh springfield missouri at the bass pro tournament of champions in in january to see cam and uh and all, and all your guys um last one coach it's called the catch and shoot podcast so we always end with this catch and shoot situation and I, and i was there for i was there for the one in in 2016 with uh, with Ty Alexander with Tyshawn Alexander with that buzzer beater yeah. in the corner when you yeah. guys were uh, when you beat mm-hmm. um, you beat Sierra Canyon and now Sierra Canyon's got LeBron's kid and Dwayne Wade's kid yeah, uh, yeah. And, that, and that was and that was a really good team that year that was a catch and shoot situation so give me your of all the guys you've coached your all-time catch and shoot situation game on the line where's the ball going Ooh,
0: you want the player's name Oh man!
3: Um, And not not like a a one on one situation, like a he didn't ask your best player. It's I uh, didn't ask for your best player. No, just to catch and
2: shoot, or your favorite, or your
0: favorite. I
3: I I know it's not the kid that William Avery kicked it out to. I know it's not him.
0: No, it's not him. Not him. I never saw a guy with eyes that wide in my life. But uh, (laughs) my my guy would be Ty Lawson. Okay. Game on the line, Ty Lawson. It ought to work. You know, I coached him for two years, so you'd have to see it. Uh, I saw it every day in practice. I saw it every game. Uh, that guy was a winner. And uh, if the game's on the line, he's he going to either get to the foul line or get you a basket. I mean, he, and he's about six foot, he's a little tank, but he was the quickest thing I ever saw with a ball, too. I mean, he was, that guy was run by five guys on a made shot two or three times a game make a layup. Um but he was a gamer. I mean I could I mean if I looked at my wall here with all the guys on the wall here, the pictures of the plaques, um I would probably come up with other other guys, but Ty always comes to mind because when people ask me about fun guards, I always say Rick and Ty Lawson. They're like, What? And they don't they think I'm crazy but I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm Rondo's great, you know, the other guys are great. I'm just telling you in high school I'll mm-hmm. take those dudes to war anytime. <laughs>
3: All right, and if I want someone standing over a 15-foot putt to win the FedEx Cup, it, uh, it might be you.
0: It might be <laughs> you. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't
3: so, know. So, uh, wait, so, school started today. When are you
0: getting back on the golf course? Depends on what putter I'm using. Um, uh. I'll play this weekend. I'll play this weekend, I'm sure. Good,
3: good. All right, I, don't, yeah. I don't want your game getting rusty. Coach, we really appreciate all the time. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in January, and I'll speak to you soon.
0: All right, thank you for having me. That was dope. Oh!
3: Just another guess that we could go five days. It's almost like I. It's almost like talking to Larry Brown. It is. It is. That's what it's like, and his recall is, is phenomenal. And and again, what you know, you write down so many topics that, that you want to make sure that you try to get to, but it's impossible to get to a lot of those topics. And then you then you play off of where the stories are headed. I mean, we we didn't even talk O2 Lebron Mello. Or ask him who's the guy that, you know, even did you ever think that you had a shot of getting LeBron uh, or who's the guy that you thought you're going to get that, that you never, that you never got. And then that could lead into another story, but he's, he he's a, he's a terrific interview, mostly because his, well I mean, he's a very affable guy, but his recall is terrific. It's, it speaks to just
2: a, the length of his career and, and B just, how much he's transformed basketball in a way. And that's why he deserves to be in the hall of fame. I mean, what Oak Hill has done and and for better or worse, like just how it's changed uh, the complexion of, of, of high school basketball and and thus the college and and the NBA. I mean, I was actually at the, the LeBron mellow game. I remember how big that was in, in Trenton, New Jersey. And also, um, I the one time I had interviewed Coach Smith prior to this was when he had, he mentioned him, Jagana Job. And it's so mm-hmm. funny. Like you go down the list of players that that he's had through the years. I mean, what was it? 35 NBA players, 32 McDonald's All-Americans, and there are a bunch of guys we didn't even get to. And Jop was a guy who left high school, goes to the NBA straight from high school, and he's not even really a topic of our discussion. Like that's That's incredible to me. Guys like Quinn Cook, Steve Blake, um, you know, Nolan Smith, Marcus Williams, like we didn't even go into any of those guys. And it's it's incredible. Just speaks to like how much talent he's had in that program and how much his kids love him and guys love to play for him and the success that he's had. It's it's I don't think there's any other story that's that's ever been like that in high school athletics.
3: No, I mean, it's one thousand one hundred and fifty one wins and seventy seven losses and the only home loss in like 350 games was the was that crazy Lamar Odom story yes that's that's stupid stupid so the the game I was referring to on that catch and shoot was so January 16th 2016 it's over Martin Luther King weekend it's the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions and I've been doing it calling doing play-by-play for CBS Sports Network now I think this is I think this might be year nine and I've seen you know Sierra Canyon and we joke now about oh who's this Sierra Canyon school but I and mean, Sierra Canyon has been there a few times, most notably with Marvin Bagley. So they were in the finals with Cody Riley, who was at UCLA and yes. then was you know, famously part of the, the group that got in trouble over in China that night. He had 18 and 15 in the championship game. Remy Martin, another one of your Pac-12 guys. Yeah. Uh, DeVerell Ramsey, I think, I think he might've gone to Nevada. Oh, I don't know. Now I'm. Blanking Adam Seiko, I think, was at uh, San Diego State, maybe. And um and Terrence McBride, I think, went Ivy. But on that Oak Hill team was Matt Coleman at Texas, Braxton Key, who I think started Alabama, may have gone somewhere else. Mario Virginia. Kegler
2: went to Virginia. He was part Virginia, of Virginia. right. Team,
3: sure. Right. Mario Kegler, I think, it was at Mississippi State, Lindell Wingington at, at Iowa State yeah. on that team. So <laughs> Lindell Wingington at Iowa State that night played 14 minutes, 0 of 6. Okay. <laughs> That's Devonte Shuler, who's at uh, who's at Ole Miss, and then Ty and then Tyshawn Alexander, who they won at the buzzer, at the buzzer, and did CBS Sports Network use the call? No. Did, did they promote it on social? No. But whatever. Another, that's another. <laughs> who's bitter? Who's bitter? Um, exactly. It just. I mean, it made no sense. I mean, this is you know. So, and he hit all of his. Uh, he went five of nine from the floor. I'm looking at the box score right now, and all all of the shots were threes. He went five of nine from three. In 23 minutes and hit the shot in the corner to win it. Did Did Wigginton
2: yeah. start as you're looking on the box? Or he was the Big 12 six man of the year? So this past season yeah, he started. So
3: he was... Yeah, he started, but he played. Yeah. You know, he played I 14 minutes. Didn't know minutes if he was the night. sixth
2: man. That's it, it's insane. tyson Ty Ty
3: Alexander was the sixth man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's great that you know the coach is he's, he's willing to talk and and willing to share these stories. He was. uh yeah, fan- fantastic and I'm glad that we were able oh, just to just pull him off pull him off a special interview. For, uh, special. Yeah, before. well that's the key. I'm <laughs> glad we <laughs> were able to do that. Uh what's uh what's entertaining you this week?
2: Uh look, I know I know a lot of people have discussed it but the but the Sterling affairs um I think I I finally got a chance to listen uh to all five parts and I just thought uh the job that uh Ramona Shelburne and con- company did um It was incredible. I mean, they tried to make Shelly Sterling a sympathetic figure. uh, I think failed on that front. Um, I I don't have much sympathy for Shelly Sterling. but, But all in all, just really fascinating. As people that love stories about the NBA and this inside stuff and hear from the horse's mouth and all the interviews they got. I just thought it was really well done. It was It's really cool to hear um, some stories, especially when you already know the story and you get to dive a little bit deeper or things you may have forgotten. I always think that's pretty cool. So um, yeah, that's been the big one for me. How about you?
3: Impractical Jokers. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like you think it's I'm a great come show. Some yeah, something deep on the uh, on the podcast level. Impractical Jokers. So, and I, I've been on it, and it made me laugh last night. And I was texting you. Uh, they were doing this Tino Martinez bit, and it was <laughs> Q had to. Rip up pictures and ruin the autographs of people that just came from the autograph table with Tino Martinez at this bar, and it was, <laughs> uh, it was so great. That was his punishment. And so, if you haven't seen the show, it's always a joke around NCAA tournament time. Oh, where's True TV? Oh, it's the one time a year True TV is on. Like it's just it's it's so predictable and dumb. Yeah. And I remember watching impractical jokers i didn't know what it was and it was on in my hotel room this was the 2012 final four if if i'm getting all these dates right 2012 final four in new orleans when anthony davis won it at kentucky and i came back to my hotel room and it's just on and it it was just on one after another and it was like two o'clock in the morning and so i watched i think i watched like six of them and i am crying laughing and still it's these four guys from staten island who play practical jokes on each other and they're all in it and they've got to do what the other one is told or else they lose the challenge. And it's, it's brilliant. Some episodes like just like anything else better than others. But if you need a laugh and practical jokers, true TV, spend a half hour with it. And if it's not a great one, watch another one. Just trust me.
2: Yes. Yes. My uh, buddy of mine was like executive producer for that. So shout out to Brandon Stern, my college roommate. Yeah, well, so really did did some nice work. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, uh, never played, he never played jokes on you? No, no. And in fact, I mean, he was the furthest thing from it. I'll, I'll have to tell some some stories of some pranks that I played in college. How about we do that next episode? That's a teaser for next episode. I have a, college a, a prank that we pulled uh, in college that I don't know if I should be proud of. I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell it. on. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll tell it on the podcast. It's is this like fun.
3: a statute of limitations thing that has passed?
2: Sure, I just don't know if it'd be appropriate, but uh uh, yeah, let's call it that. Let's say everything's okay if it happened before two thousand, right, so whatever you know, showing my <laughs> age mean, yeah. <laughs> well um
3: yeah, whatever i, I mean, I'll yeah. tell some like just silly ones um yeah I could tell yeah, I could tell a few silly ones that, that don't involve uh no, you know, this was good it was in good arrested.
2: no, it was in good fun nobody nobody got hurt uh it was it was it was in good fun it's actually a very funny story so I'm
3: all right you want to do to the thank yous me.
2: yeah i think we should thank our producer scott turkin our uh super producer bruce bernstein was not in attendance today but i still no want to show. thank him for no everything. show it's, for
3: Gets gets fine podcast. for being late we're, we're docking him half a pod salary
2: yes uh our editor ben wolfin who's got a lot of work mm-hmm. to do this week now noah to uh, yes. edit down this this podcast. we got to condense it. Edit. We went five hours don't, don't, with Coach Smith. Don't and edit we, anything. No. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the rest of the uh, Pure Hoops Media team. Also, we, I, we've got other podcasts. It's not just Catch and Shoot, which, of course, people need to Download, of course, which they've done. Uh, but subscribe. They also should be writing a review for what we do. Five stars. That's the only way that you'll comment. And um, yeah, but we do have other podcasts though at Pure Hoops Media, though. No,
3: we do. Uh, the Mike Wise Show, also Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and Mike Wise, of course, the longtime journalist, Washington Post, New York Times, ESPN. Monica McNutt, a, a great personality, and also Eric Newman and NBA champion BJ Armstrong on the pure hoops podcast. So yes, we're only gonna read the five we're only gonna read the five star reviews. So I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read the latest one. Okay. okay. Yep. So this is from Smoky420 that Ooh. came in on August twenty fourth. All right. It's Friday. And all right. So he writes Man, Adam knows this stuff. Some of these podcasts are legend, especially if you like listening to guys from the past. Love LeBron tell fair story is great. So thank you, folks, Smokey420. And if you like the tell first story, it was, you know, Steve Smith, Oak Hill head coach, just told another one with uh, with Rondo and getting recruited by uh, the University of Louisville. That was incredible. So we'll tie it, we'll, so we'll tie it all back together. All right, hey. pal. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, we'll do it again next week. All right. Great talking to you. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.